<laughs> All right. Well, I've already said good morning once, but I'm going to say good morning again. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. We're going to make a big deal of dads today a little bit, um, but we are happy that you are here, that you are worshiping with us. Our Heavenly Father, the one that gave all of us all life. I heard a story one time about a man who was at a food store one day. I don't go to the food store as much as Wendy does, but every once in a while I go. But this guy was, he kept passing this same shopper in the food store. You know how that goes sometimes, every aisle you go and, and you see the same people, right? And this was a father trying to shop with just this totally like uncooperative three-year-old who was sitting up in the cart. And the first time the guy passed him, the father uh, was listening to his, his son uh, asking over and over to buy him a candy bar. The man heard the dad say, now, Billy, try to stay calm. This won't take long. And as they passed through the next aisle, the three-year-old had gotten a little bit louder. I want a candy bar. I want a candy bar. And, and Dad was quietly saying, Billy, just calm down. We'll be done in a minute. Uh, and they passed the dairy aisle, and the kid was screaming uncontrollably. And you know how they kicked their legs and the, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and the dad was still just like really kind of keeping his cool. And, and he's just very... Here. And then they got to the checkout line, and of course the kid was kicking and screaming and doing it just out of control, and Billy will be in the car in just a minute. Everything's going to be okay. Now, the man who had been following all of this was impressed with the dad. I would be impressed with this dad, right? Um, he never lost his cool. He never, like, yelled at the kid, and, and as he finished paying, he got... And he heard him say, okay, Billy, we're done. We're, we're, we're done. It's okay. And the man walked over to the dad and he said, you are amazing. I cannot believe all of the things that were going on in that store and you just completely kept calm and, and you never yesterday took him all throughout the store. You just, I am so impressed with you. And the man looked at him and said, you don't understand. I'm Billy. <laughs> Fatherhood is not for the weak. <laughs> Educator Reed Markham says this about fatherhood. Being a great father is like shaving. No matter how good you shaved today, you have to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> President Th uh, Theodore Roosevelt, he was a little more elegant in his description of fatherhood. He said, uh, there are many kinds of success in life worth having. It is exceedingly interesting and attractive to be a successful businessman or farmer or lawyer or doctor or writer or president. But for unflagging interest and enjoyment, a house full of children, if things go reasonably well, certainly makes all other forms of success and achievement lose their importance by comparison. Unflagging interest and enjoyment. I can say without a doubt having two boys uh, has been unflaggingly interesting. Not always enjoyable, but most of the time. And when I watch what the boys do, uh, and, and moms, you can probably attest that boys act differently than girls. 
Yes? Amen? Boys, and, and, and I watch Wendy watch what these boys are doing sometimes. And she will often come up to me and say, is that normal? <laughs> and then I tell her, yes, it's, it's very normal. And she just walks away shaking her head. I don't understand, boys. <laughs> but girls sometimes tend to act differently, too. How many uh, dads of girls do we have here today? Yes, many dads of girls here today. Man, you have got a big little finger that they wrap themselves around, don't you? They are just, oh, man. I, I've, I've often told Wendy I'm thankful I don't have a girl, uh, that I have boys, and, and I think that the male population would be thankful that I don't have girls uh, because I might be living my life a little bit differently now had I had a girl instead of a boy. But we have our children and we love our children. And the Talmud, which is the Jewish oral tradition of the ancient rabbis, says when you teach your child, you teach your child's child. When we become parents, especially first-time parents, everything is new. How many of you got the instruction manual at the hospital when you uh, started taking your kids home? No? Okay. Oh, just me then. Good. Uh, so I know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> but it's scary, man. I mean, the first time that Wendy had uh, a, a child, Tommy, sitting over here, First of all, it was just, just watching the, the, the process was very scary. And then the doctor, like, handed him to me and put him in my arm. And, of course, he weighed a ton. He felt like a, a cinder block in my arm. Twelve pounds, just about, right? No. Oh, no. Oh, 11. Sorry. Um, <laughs> which makes a lot of difference. And I'm looking down at this little face, and I'm like, this, this face is going to be the face that I get to look at every day for 18 years. And I also set the date, uh, uh, July 10th, 2021, you're 18, move out. No, I'm just kidding, I didn't say <laughs> But when we become parents, automatically we become teachers. And of course, mothers and fathers do things a little bit differently, right? Uh, when Wendy tells the boys something, she goes into detail about what she's talking about and why she's talking about it and how they should be doing things and what happens if they don't do things the way that she's supposed to be doing things. And I will sit there and I will listen to Wendy telling the boys all of this stuff and I'll patiently wait until it's my turn and she'll turn to me a lot of times and say, right? And I'll take a deep breath and I'll look at both of my boys and I'll say, listen to your mother. Half the time I don't understand what she's saying. But, but we who are fathers, especially followers of Jesus Christ who are fathers, teaching our children to live lives pleasing to God is not only our responsibility, it is our imperative. It is absolutely crucial. It is commanded in Scripture. God tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We are supposed to be teaching our children the Word of God. We are supposed to be living an example of what a godly person is for our children. And we don't always do that. I don't always do that. And I, and I am especially impressed by how much I don't do that when I hear some of the conversations that my boys have that they don't think that I can hear. And I've come to realize that a lot of what they're learning nowadays as teenagers, they're not learning from me anymore. They're learning from their friends. And I wonder about their friends' fathers sometimes. But it's the way it is. We're not called to be perfect. We're not called to have a perfect life. We're not called to not ever make mistakes because we're going to. We're going to make mistakes. And... I want to just tell you that doesn't mean that just because you've made mistakes, that doesn't prohibit you, that doesn't let you off the hook from trying to teach your children what God wants for them, to live lives that are pleasing to Him. But God gives us a lot of help along the way because it means that no matter where we are now, no matter what our past is, no matter the things that we've done, we can. Fathers, we ought to train up our children in the way they should go. Even when they are old, they will not depart from it. Doesn't mean our children are not going to make mistakes. Doesn't mean our children aren't going to be getting involved with people that maybe we wish they wouldn't be getting involved in. Doesn't mean that our children will not fail. What it means is that our children, if we are doing things right, have been taught what God wants for them. They have been taught how to live a life that's pleasing to God. And very often, even if they go astray, they will remember the things that they've been taught. And this morning, I want to tell you a story about a father and his son. The father was a powerful, powerful man. And, and he was seen by the community as a godly man. He praised God. He worshiped God regularly. He, he, he prayed. He read the Scripture. He knew the Scriptures. And being a powerful man, he could get just about anything he wanted. And one day he met a married woman whose husband was in the army and was away. And the man convinced this married woman to have an affair. And it wasn't too long after that the married woman came to the man and said, I'm pregnant and it's yours. The man panicked. His reputation was at stake. He didn't want people thinking that he could do anything wrong. He tried to cover up the pregnancy. When he couldn't do that, he arranged it so that the husband was no longer in the picture. 
And being a powerful man, the husband was permanently no longer in the picture. Then, in a great appearance before a lot of people, he said, well, I want to take you in. Let's get married. I'll take care of this child that you're going to have so that he could make himself look good. Eventually, he was found out. Eventually, he was confronted. And eventually, this godly man who had been living in such sin for such a long time came to repentance, made his heart clean. He renewed his spirit so that not only would he experience God's salvation, but he was able to teach others through his example that God would forgive them too. Many years later, when this man knew that he was coming to the end of his life, he wanted to pass down to his sons the things that he had learned. And he sat his son down and he said to him, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And of course, the man that we're talking about is David, the king of Israel, and his son, Solomon. Now, David did several things after he came to repentance, after he came back to a relationship with God. He did several things to train up Solomon in the way that he should go. And the first thing he did was to teach Solomon. He taught Solomon about God. He taught Solomon to seek God, to serve God, to do it with his whole mind and his whole heart. Fathers, it is our responsibility to teach our children about who God is. It's our responsibility to teach them what God says is good for us. And it is our responsibility to seek and to serve God and to teach our children how to seek and to serve God. And to do that, we must know God ourselves. We must read and study God's Word so that we can know how to seek and to serve Him, how to teach our children how to seek and to serve Him. And the next thing that David did is he talked to God on Solomon's behalf. He prayed. In 1 Chronicles 28, we find David praying, praising God for who he is, asking God to bless the people of Israel. And then finally, in verses 17 to 19, he prays specifically for this one son. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you and grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes performing all. Solomon's father, David, taught his child about God and he prayed to God about his child. Fathers, are you praying for your children? Are you remembering them in your prayers every day because they need it every single day? They are going out into a world that does not know Him. 
They're going out into a world that is going to show them a lot of attractive things. A lot of things that to our natural bodies and our natural minds are much more preferable maybe than what they're learning at home. But we need to pray for them. We need to pray for our children. Then David equipped his child with the things that he would need to accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish. And a lot of times, fathers and mothers, we kind of get this idea, we kind of get these words from God about the things that maybe our children might accomplish. The things that God might want our children to do. And when we get that word, whether it's directly from God or whether it's from the comments of other people, your son would make such a great this, your daughter would be so good doing this. It's our job then to equip them, to give them the tools that they need to live a life that is pleasing to God and to accomplish the things that God wants them to accomplish. And in this case for Solomon, he was being charged with building God's temple. So David equipped Solomon for what God wanted him to do. Then David gave Solomon his son the plan of the vestibule of the temple and of its houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms and its inner chambers and of the rooms of the mercy seat and all of these other things. Everything that he needed to accomplish his task, he gave him the plans. Then he gave them encouragement. He said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. David taught his son, prayed for his son, equipped his son. But he knew with all of the equipping and all of the praying and all of the teaching that it might not be enough. David understood that Solomon would need the help of a godly community. In 1 Chronicles 29, David said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? And the people stepped up. They provided financially. They provided knowledge and skill and experience and training to Solomon so that he could know what he was supposed to do so that he could accomplish this task that God had set forth for him. The community helped Solomon to complete the work of God. There's a quote by author John Hart that says, the lone father is not a strong father. Fathering is a difficult and perilous journey and is done well with the help of other men. As a church community, one of the most important things that we can do is to provide help to the fathers of children as they are teaching their children how to live lives that are pleasing to God because we do not have 
every answer? Where is the father in this room that has every answer to everything that's going to come up in their child's life? Not me. Let's face it, sometimes even when we do have the answer, our children don't want to listen to us. I have experienced this. I will have told my son something a dozen times. And then he will go to church and will hear the same thing from somebody else who's also a father. And he will come back to me and he will say, so-and-so said this great thing. I cannot believe that I did not know this. <laughs> talking about Mr. Gabe. You know what I'm talking about. We'll talk later. <laughs> but it was amazing to me. I'm like, I've told you this for months. And this guy comes out one time. Oh, what a great idea. I never thought of that. <laughs> Men, put away your pride and realize that God is using other men, other fathers, other people to help you to instruct your child, to lead your child, to equip your child. And know that that comes from God. We'll come back to David and Solomon for a minute. Soon after David died and Solomon assumed the throne. And of course the question we have is would, would Solomon heed David's instructions? Would he seek God with all his heart and all his mind? And we get a little bit of an answer in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. This is where we start the story of Solomon as king. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. This is God talking to Solomon now. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours which is so great? God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions or wealth or honor or the life of those who hate you and have not even asked for a long life but have asked for wisdom and for knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor such as none of the kings had who were before you and none after you shall have the like. So it appears that Solomon learned from David how to ask for the good things of God. He asked for wisdom. He asked for knowledge. And I wish that the story ended at about First Chronicles or Second Chronicles chapter 8 or so. We read of Solomon's immeasurable wisdom. We read of him building the, the, the temple. We read of him building the palace. We read of him leading the people, talking to the queen of Sheba, the greatest queen to ever live at that time and imparting wisdom and knowledge to her. We read all of that in the first 10 chapters of 2 Chronicles, and then we get, to, second, or then we get uh, to read in the book of Kings, because it's not the end of the story. We don't get to see 
Solomon having a happily ever after existence. Solomon turned away from God. And 1 Kings 11 tells us, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. But Solomon clung to these women. He had 700 wives. Don't get me started. 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father was. Fathers, we experience this too, don't we? We've done everything that we can possibly imagine. We've given our children prayer and teaching and equipping. And we find that sometimes they still walk away. They walk away from God. They walk away from prayer. They walk away from our community. Just as the prodigal son turned away from his father to go and live in a world that was fun a world that was enjoyable, a world that was pleasurable. Poet John Carty said this, every parent is at some point the father of the unreturned prodigal with nothing to do but keep his house open to hope. Fathers, if our children turn from the teaching and prayer and example and community of godly people, all we can do is continue to set a godly example and continue to pray and continue to rely on the godly community. And then we wait. I'm not sure what I did there. We keep our houses open to hope. We look down that long road every day looking for our children, our prodigal child to come returning not only to us but back to God. I have been that prodigal. I'm not going to ask but I can imagine many of you have been that prodigal who have turned away from God and godly teaching for a time. And I've encountered the prodigal children of others. And yes, I've actually even watched as occasionally my children have taken their eyes off God. And all I can do is continue to pray, try to set the example that God would have me set, and keep hopeful watch that they will remember what they have learned. They will remember what they have seen in me and in their mother and in other godly people in the community and that they will remember the Lord their God. Now, I'm fortunate my sons don't ever stay away for very long. We have conversations. Some kids, they stay away for a long time. 
couple of you have children that left home at an early age and have stayed away. These are hard and difficult things. But never give up relying on God. Because God is powerful. God will do a mighty work in your child at the time that God wants that work done. The Holy Spirit will remind your child when they are at their lowest point the things that they have learned through Scripture and through prayer and through example and through godly community. And we hope and we look down that road and we pray to see them coming back. Fatherhood is not for the weak. Fatherhood is not for the timid. Godly fatherhood is for those who will decide to be strong and courageous. To keep their eyes on God and to exhibit a godly life to their children. I fail at that sometimes. It's not a nice thing. It's not a great thing. It's a thing I have to ask forgiveness for. But if there's one thing that I have ever learned is if I confess to God my sins, if I am willing to ask forgiveness, there is always forgiveness to be had. And this probably for fathers especially is the most challenging thing of all. After our children have left, after our children have turned away and they make their way back, we got to forgive them. We can't hold the things that they've done over their heads. We can't live our lives expecting that it's going to happen again. When we approach our Heavenly Father with our sins, He forgives us full stop. There are no conditions. There are no reminders. Fathers, we must learn to forgive as God has forgiven us. Church, will you pray for our fathers? Will you continue to provide them with the encouragement and the strength and the courage that they need? Because we need it. We need it a lot. Fathers, can you be strong? Can you be courageous? Can you wait in hope for the prodigal child to return if that is what is required of you. And when that child returns, can you forgive as God has forgiven you? These are the things that are required of godly fathers. And I know that this church will be praying for its fathers. And I know that we will do whatever we have to do to provide encouragement, support, 
so that our fathers can do the work that God wants them to do in the lives of their children. Would you pray for me? And with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have created fathers, that you have created dads, that you have created these people who, imperfect as they are, do the best they can for their children. We pray for the godly fathers, especially the ones that sometimes don't find themselves worthy to be called godly. Father, we ask you to forgive us our sins. We ask you to give us the courage and the strength and the love and the hope to forgive our children when they sin and to continue training them up in the way that they should go, whether they are five or 15 or 25 or 50. God, help us to be the example that you want us to be. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Dads, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Happy Father's Day. God bless you this week.